Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, it's brought to you, of course, by Revenge of the Birds, one of the SB Nation podcasts and their network that they have, some great podcasts covering each of the teams. My name is Blake Murphy. I'm your co-host here, joined as always by the venerable John Venerable, my co-host. Johnny, how are you doing overall tonight? We've got a lot of Cardinals news to talk about, and it's only February. We haven't even gotten to the Combine yet. The team has been busy. Yeah, it's exciting, Blake. I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time to be a Cardinal fan. I think really all things considered, you couldn't have asked for, for much of a better start in the first 45 days or so of the new year uh, with, when you're talking about some news with, within free agency. The Cardinals have, have been able to sign a couple key free agents that we assume are going to play a big role in, in 2019. And then, of course, you know all the hoopla that's surrounding the draft. Thankfully, the Kyler Murray talk has died down to some effect with with Kingsbury and Michael Bidwell coming out in support of Josh Rosen, rightfully so. So it's, it'll be interesting as we, we work our way through the end of February, which is the rest of the kind of dead period as, as we enter the combine and free agency, um, how aggressive the Cardinals are going to be in free agency. And then specifically, will it come out that the Cardinals have met with Kyler Murray at the combine? I think that that's something that's not being spoken about enough um, because again, you, you add gasoline to that fire and it's just going to take off to the point where we could actually see it take place. But again, I'm, I'm very much of the mindset that it won't happen and that the Cardinals are going to take Nick Bose at number one. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest things. I know I actually even wrote a, if you, if our listeners do want to check it out, I did just do a, kind of a summary of what we talked about last week with our podcast last time, John, uh, if you do want, it did get a chance to catch that last week, do make sure you go back and listen to a lot of the points that we talked about were just summed up in that article, which is, uh, actually came out of Revenge of the Birds this afternoon. Um, you should be able to find it there, but saying that if the Cardinals did draft Kyler Murray, what's going to be the fallout? There's a lot of stuff, not just with cap implications, but also just other implications as far as for with the team, the projection, the trajectory, and taking a defensive stud that you're able to kind of, or even if you do end up trading back a number of picks off the board, essentially you're kind of taking a step back as the Cardinals. And I think if, you know, you told uh, John, if, if we were talking in the beginning of, you know, end of the 2017 season, about 2018, and, you know, we brought up, hey, you know, Cardinals are going to get Josh Rosen and Nick Bosa in the next two years. I think you and I both would have thought, well, they're, they're getting the number one pick two years in a row then. It would have been unbelievable, right? It been, well, it would have been, like, unbelievable. It also would have been like, oh, gosh, things are going to just not be good. There's no way that they're going to be able to do that without pulling, like, a Cleveland Browns and, you know, going with these 1-15 seasons. They did go through one of those this past year. Um, it resulted in, obviously, the, the departure of Steve Wilkes bringing in a new head coach. It was a rough year, but it wasn't necessarily the – this is the multi-year rebuilding project you kind of are setting out to look for. It might still turn into that, but most Cardinals fans feel a bit more positive, at least, about being able to make a turnaround. Uh, let's talk at least about what we have before we get into some of this 
free agency preview and some of the news, John, that you've even been able to brought up. Let's talk about with the Cardinals. They've had four moves that we've seen, or pretty aggressive moves for February at least. We've seen that the Cardinals claim Browns linebacker Tanner Vallejo. They were number one in the waiver order, basically bringing in a special teams ace to be able to add to the rest of the position. You can kind of see a little bit of movement there. Uh, you get to see Brooks Reed brought in for a one-year deal, basically a defensive end slash outside linebacker, played for the Atlanta Falcons previously last year. Uh, you also saw the two big deals that we can talk about, at least would be Robert Alford. Patrick Peterson finally gets a guy who's spent a multi-year deal, $13 million guaranteed for two years. I heard the Cardinals were basically the only team that offered a second year, a lot of competition for him. A lot of teams didn't seem to want to commit that second year. That's why Arizona – the ones who beat him, them out. And Charles Clay, a tight end who's expected, uh, according to Arizona Sports' John Gambodoro, to be a starter for the team. He's on a one-year, $3 million deal. 30-year-old tight end with knee issues now, but um, coming off of a very rich contract in Buffalo, just was never able to live up to that. So let's talk and open up some of this, starting with Alford and getting to the rest of the players, John. This has been a very different approach to what we've seen with free agency on the offseason from Steve Keim, not just for bringing in a guy who's a cornerback on a two-year deal when normally you'd be looking at, you know, May or getting even into August to get one of these type of corners. John, what do you think is the reason for this, and what are you thinking of the signings so far? Yeah, I like the signings. I, I think that a lot of us saw this coming with how Keim has been able to shape the roster, especially in his early years as, as GM for the Cardinals from 2013 to 2015. Specifically, look, when you ha have a high waiver claim priority and you have an opportunity to rebuild really the lesser half of your roster, and he didn't have um, a good amount of dog in the fight in those early years in 2013-2014, he wasn't tied into a lot of those players. Rod Graves was, so he had the opportunity to go in trim salary, bringing guys one or two year deals. And a lot of those worked out. And I, my opinion, that's when Kime was at his best. And I think with a renewed sense of encouragement and respect for Michael Bidwell, potentially, uh, I think we're seeing that a little bit again. I think the, the, obviously the, the roster is uh, at a depleted pace compared to, I think, even what it was in 2013. But at the same time, when you have that top waiver claim priority, a lot of teams cut players for a, several different reasons outside of on the field play you're able to take take on risks that other teams just can't because they're too far down the list at the end of the day I don't think there's a bad one you're dealing the NFL unless you're Sam Bradford right unless you're getting paid 20 plus million dollars um, the Cardinals have uh, a fairly healthy amount of cap space they have an opportunity now to again reshape a lot of depth defensively. The, the addiction of Brooks Reed, I think, makes too much sense not to happen. Uh, true position, he's been playing outside linebacker his last two teams, first with Houston, a former second-round pick out of the University of Arizona, and then, of course, the, the last three or four years uh, with Dan Quinn on that uh, Super Bowl team in mm -hmm. Atlanta. And again, probably didn't pan out to be the player that a lot of people hoped he was, but certainly a situational pass rusher, maybe contribute a little bit on special teams can do a lot worse there. And again, fast forwarding probably your third outside linebacker outside of Chandler Jones and Nick Bosa. I, I think that's a good, I think that's a great addition. I think that, that that's the perfect February addition because then you're not handcuffed come, you know, July, August, September. If for God forbid, there was an injury, Brooks Reed can come right in and, and play a respectable defensive end outside linebacker position and probably won't embarrass himself, right? The Robert Alford deal I was excited about because it told me a couple different things. It told me that Kime, like you mentioned, was serious about adding talent 
opposite Patrick Peterson. Robert Alford to me is kind of the, the quintessential player to play opposite Patrick. And, and what I, what I mean by that is I'm not a big proponent. You know, this Blake of spinning, unless your roster is at a point where it's at max capacity, you've got, you've got pro bowlers everywhere. I'm not a big guy on, on taking multiple first round corners. It's just not my thing. Investing too much money in, in a secondary and I'm talking big money. I just don't think it wins in the NFL. I think you're better off spending that on the offensive defensive line on the lines of scrimmage. So when you're able to bring in somebody like Robert Alford, who I would compare physically to a Gerard Powers, he's a little bit older than when Powers was, was brought on board, but his consistency, he has only missed two games for the Atlanta Falcons in the past four seasons. He was a staple on that Super Bowl team. I believe he picked off Brady in the Super Bowl, had a pick six in that game, had a down That's year right. last year, uh, but the entire Atlanta team took a step back last year, specifically defensively. They were ravaged by injuries. Um, still put up 11 passes defense, but the year before that, the 2017 season, 20 passes defense. The year before that, the 2016 season, that Super Bowl season, 19 pass defense. I mean, he has been a starter in multiple playoff games on a very successful Atlanta team that took a step back last year. Will it contribute to him moving forward? Have we seen the best of his career? I don't know, but as a competent, solid starter, I mean, we've seen Greg, Greg Toller have success opposite Peterson. Antonio Cromartie, um, tons of you know average to above average players would come in and immediately see their play rise to the next level because Peterson shadows that number one receiver, plays that position so well. Hopefully, he continues to do so. That these guys just they'll thrive in the opposite role. How many teams have have multiple you know number one receivers? Rarely do they ever. And and the Cardinals, I think, have added a lot of flexibility in that secondary. And then quickly, Blake, before I throw it back to you, I think Charles Clay. <laughs> You mentioned it that the Gambo had had mentioned on Twitter that he was going to come in and immediately be the starter. I I echo that. I don't know that specifically, but I I can't see how that's not the case. Mm-hmm. When you talk about outside of this year, which you mentioned, he's had some injuries the past two seasons. Still put up over 500 yards last year and only playing 13 games. But before that, he's just been Mister Consistency between. 2013 and 2017, he averaged right around 600 receiving yards a season, which would lead the Cardinals most every year at the tight end position, probably since Jackie Smith, right? Has had some injury concerns last year, um, didn't play well. Is his body breaking down at this point? Again, another 30-year-old. But here's what I'll say. You're getting these guys on the cheap. There's no harm in claiming them. Uh, There's Like I mentioned, there's no bad one-year deals. And when you're talking about, I was on account with Sam Bradford and that was mostly because yeah. it was a two year deal. They added on a second year option where they're like, in case we get lucky. And that's why Cardinals have $5 million at least in dead money they're having to pay. So for the yeah. most part, at least it's just, you're taking a flyer on a lot of these different guys. And if it pans out, it's great. If it doesn't, doesn't cost you a whole lot. And that's, and they're, is. and they're competent starters. Like yep. they're not going to embarrass themselves. And here's what I want our fans of the team to, to, to keep in mind is that, you're going to go into this draft and you're looking for impact wherever you can find it. There's probably only three or four positions where you say, I'm not interested, especially in the early rounds. And if they get a tight end early, great. But if not, you need bodies at that position. You can't be left vulnerable like you were a year ago. And there's a good chance that's what they did in 2013. They had guys like Jeremiah Bell starting at safety and their strong safety. He was like 35, but they made it work. And I I think they're, they're kind of going back to that mantra a little bit. And again, Charles Clay plays well next year. Maybe you extend them. Maybe you don't, but you have that flexibility now. And I, I, I don't, I never understand the, the pushback from the fan base. Why did you claim this guy? Why do you pay when your contracts guys? It's not, it's not a big deal. 
Yeah, exactly. The The biggest one also I think that's fascinating is the, the Cardinals have never been in a position to claim a lot of players. And so the fact that they are is very reminiscent of this might be kind of the Steve Kime churning the bottom of the roster is kind of the idea that we have. The difference now is Kime's in a position where he can at least kind of churn that roster ahead of anyone else. And I think it's also an area where you and I have even talked about how last year we thought that Kime was going to be asking to ask act more out of desperation or acting more out of having to basically like, hey, we got to get this in gear. This is kind of, I think, lit a fire right underneath his chair where he's basically going out there and maybe not, it's not even like the, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm changing everything. I think that there is actual change that we do see going on here in making over this roster. And that's what's at least exciting um, to be able to see. Now let's get into the, the news that you were at least bringing up, which is the Cardinals and their free agents as far as being able to pursue. Now, we know that the Cardinals, the biggest areas obviously are going to be the offensive line, have to be able to bring in a defensive lineman, whether that's bringing someone back, as well as the other positions such as linebacker and then finding a partner next to Larry Fitzgerald uh, was kind of on the back burner, it seems, compared to just stiffing up, stiffing up the trenches and getting their linebacker core, for the most part, figured out. John, what are some of the things either that you've – heard or that you've been able to find out at least about the Cardinals for the most part as far as what's going to be their strategy for attacking in free agency? Yeah, I'll start on the defensive side. Blake, I put this out there on Twitter today around 12 o'clock noon Pacific time. Uh, and from from my understanding, it hadn't been put out anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the team is interested in C.J. Mosley if he hits the free agency market. I, I don't think he will. The team is yeah. – is, unsure as, uh, of whether or not they're going to invest big money in a uh, five-year player out of my, Alabama who is probably, if he's not elite, he's right below the Bobby Ragners and the Luke Keekleys, right? Yep. He is Mr. Consistency. You're going to get 100-plus tackles, a, a handful of passes defense, one or two picks, and a couple of sacks every year. Uh, and he is a staple for them defensively. But for whatever reason, they have not opted to extend him yet. Right, He had just played his final year of his fifth-year option. They have the ability now to franchise tag him at inside linebacker or extend him or let him walk and probably get a third-round comp pick a year from now. I am told, and again, this is not me trying to take credit. I get information (laughs) from somebody. I want to share it with the the people on Twitter and in our audience because I want you to hear what I hear and you know, it's not always going to be accurate, but I'm going to, I'm going to share what I hear and, and you can take it as you will. The team is prepared to make him the highest paid, not only inside linebacker in today's NFL, in the history of the NFL. They have missed on so many picks at inside linebacker. Yep. Think about going back to 2013. We just talked about Dansby was their inside line, was their staple inside linebacker with Daryl Washington, right? Both those guys, one left in free agency, one was suspended. Both never played. Uh, for the Cardinals again until Dansby came back for that second go around. Um, Larry Foote in 2014, one and done. 2015, kind of a mixture of Dayon, um, mm-hmm. Kevin Minter, who was a, a, a average to below average player out of the second round at LSU. He didn't work out, right? Um, 2016, they bring they bring Dansby back, or was that 2017? I can't even keep track. There's been so yeah, many it combinations. 20, it was 2017 because that was the Hassan Reddick year where they were trying to have like the master teach the student. Yeah. And neither of them were ended up on the field at the end. You were looking more at Josh Bynes was kind of the yep. guy who was there at the and end. And was hurt. Reddick was the 13th pick in the draft. He has not panned out. They initially wanted him to play inside linebacker because of injuries at outside linebacker. They had to play him his rookie season. So this past season was supposed to be his breakout season. All I know is he was on, on the ground a lot. 
he was downfield making tackles. He did not make enough plays. He didn't make any plays. He has not popped off the screen once. And then that's the opposite of C.J. Mosley. C.J. Mosley, 6'2", 250, is exactly what the Cardinals are looking for to anchor their linebacking core with the potential of having Mosley go along with Nick Bosa and Chandler Jones. That's what the team wants. Now, again, I do not think the Baltimore Ravens, with just shedding salary cap with Joe Flacco and now having a a rookie quarterback on a five-year deal, are in a position where they can afford to let a player like C.J. Mosley walk. But it is interesting that this is coming out now because there at least is an opportunity. You know, we never thought the Raiders would let Jared Valdir walk, and, and then he became a free agent, and the Cardinals jumped on that. Two things have to happen. The Ravens have to let him walk, which I think maybe 25%, one out of four chance, right? Number two is just because the Cardinals are willing to make him the highest-paid linebacker in football doesn't mean other teams aren't willing to do the same. He will have a huge market the Jets, the Colts, the Cardinals, these teams that have a lot of money to spend, who have needs at linebacker, will go after him. And I'm telling you now, if he makes it to the market, I believe he will be the highest sought free agent, no matter the position. Because this this free agent class, you know, there's not a quarterback like a Kirk Cousins that we saw a year ago. Mosley will be it, but I'm told the Cardinals will make every effort to sign him if he hits the market and will pay him big money in the process. Yep, I was going to say, at least, John, was that the highest paid overall linebacker versus inside linebacker was the thing? Or was that not as, as clear as far as from what you had known? It's, it, is, it is overall linebacker, so yep, not including yep. patch, pass rushers. So, yeah, which, of I, course, I, is going to be a little different, obviously. From like, yeah, and I think – We're not talking Chandler the, Jones money. Yeah, no, 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 no. And the Cardinals could afford that anyway, yep, but probably. because they're going to be paying Nick Bosa nothing, and Chandler Jones' deal I think is pretty team-friendly at the moment. You think about his production. Oh, yeah, um, they got him on a, on a deal where it's like, wow, we paid him a ton of money. I'm like, that's going to look like a steal in two to three years. It is, and so they wanted, they wanted to pay Dayon Buchanan. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. He doesn't fit Vance Joseph's scheme. He's too small. They wanted Hassan Reddick to be that guy. He's not. So what happens when you continually miss? Eventually, you just got to go out and get the guy. So if he's available, I believe they're going to pay him on average. I think Keekly makes somewhere in the neighborhood of what, thirteen million a year? I can't. I can't uh, remember. Yeah, his average year is about. Th- it's about thirteen. It's about thirteen. About twelve, like twelve and a half million a year. His average guaranteed period, because guaranteed money, as we know where it is, is about five and yeah. a half million. I think. I think C.J. Yeah. Mosley's looking at a contract that that averages about fifteen million a season, and mm-hmm. if you sign him. Probably you're probably going to give him five years, right? Yep. So you're probably um, looking at about maybe sixty-five, maybe mm-hmm. seventy million or so. But you're by forty million guaranteed. Yep. And, and you know yep, what? I it's not my money. So. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say forty million guaranteed. That would be kind of a push. I think you're for sure looking at thirty million guaranteed, and uh-huh. then in between that. Well, that's probably what gets it done. Who who guarantees it? Right, exactly. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing that gets it done between the thirty to forty million guaranteed. We're looking at a five-year contract that's really going to be about. Uh, like about an average of what six to seven million dollars a year so when you're looking at that that's going to be the biggest type of difference like with a lot of the, the quarterbacks that you have they're the guys who are getting paid like you know maybe in the 20 millions or so as far as the high end so it's still a lot of money it's a big contract but you're essentially being able to find like a guaranteed three down linebacker being able to pay him as such and then just say that position it's, it's solved it's settled we've got the guy for our defense what I do agree with you, John, is I think that there's not any chance that I see that the Ravens would let him walk. The other possibility also is 
that if the franchise tag does come into play, they could always be able to use a franchise tag. It'd be awfully expensive, obviously, at least, and they've got the money to do so, but that would be a potential for them to, hey, if we're not going to keep C.J. Mosley or if we only have him valued at this certain level, that may be an area where they could try to hold the tag over him and maybe try to do a trade and sign and be content to keep him on one. There's, there's a lot of different ways the Ravens could look at this. I do think that if he does hit the free agent market, and we've seen it before with Jared Valdir, we didn't expect him to be available, thought he'd be franchise tagged. The Cardinals, I do agree, at least would pounce. And I, I would agree with you that it, they'd be wise to pounce, especially after, you know, he seemed like he suffered a pretty serious injury, but overall wasn't as bad. And he's been able to show pretty handily that he can recover from that and be a pretty overall durable player uh, for the most part, which I think is exactly what you're looking for, as you said, with the Cardinals and their linebacking core. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about the common theme of a lot of these free agents that we're going to be brought up is if they become available, the Cardinals mm -hmm. will have interest. I think the guys that you're hearing that for sure are going to be available, I, I'm not saying the Cardinals aren't going to have interest, but you're not going to see them go crazy and spend an absorbent amount of money on, you know, I don't have a player specifically mine, but just to overpay to overpay. You're not going to spend yeah. money just for the sake of spending money, especially when you're not all in, in in 2019, right? This is a this is a rebuild. This is a process, right? And so you don't want to spend money, i.e., Jermaine Gresham, that's gonna that's gonna prevent you from doing things down the line. So again, another another name that that I've heard that they like is Trent Brown of the New England Patriots, who was once upon a time a seventh round pick of the San Francisco 49ers. Was a nice player for them. I've got a buddy who's a diehard Niner fan and was surprised that they moved him. They of course got McGlinchey and that worked out for them. New England, the 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 scenario, I guess. That, that Niner fans spin to me is that it was a kind of an under the deal, under the table deal where essentially when Garoppolo was traded to San Francisco, eventually between Belichick and Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch, they would get Trent Brown back at some mm -hmm. point. And that's what ended up happening. Trent Brown, if you watched him specifically in the playoffs, Brady was never hit. And yep. he played left tackle for them. He was fantastic. He stifled. The, I know the Rams don't have great edge pressure, but he was unbelievable in the Super Bowl and has come out and said, like, I love New England. It's great here. But again, give the guy credit. I'm a, he basically goes, I'm a former seventh-round pick. Yeah. Like, it's my time to get paid. I do think that the Patriots end up paying him because of the fact they let Nate Soldier go because Soldier was, I think, approaching 30. This kid's only 25, 26 years old. I mean, if you don't pay your franchise left tackle in the middle of his mid-20s, like, who are you going to pay? But I, I, I do know but that the, the Patriots, and that's the big thing. That's of course, true, and that's why it's worth yep. bringing up. Absolutely. Because yep. the Patriots, they let many people walk before. Just even last year, at least, they let their left tackle go and walk right over to the Giants after being with the team for four years. And they did draft Isaiah Wynn last year. He did have, I believe, a, a right. standing knee injury. Mm -hmm. He seems like it might be between a left tackle or maybe they would think, hey, we can just slide him in the Patriots and their offensive line coach. You know, they couldn't fix John Cooper, but they're able to be able to get a lot out of their players. So perhaps they do let Trent Brown walk it, it is just going to be like a really high thing because essentially you're right they are going to have to at some point at least if they do desire Trent Brown there would be almost like an overpaying but in that sense of that you're able to kind of solidify that position for a while as long as it ends up being you know the case of it working he, he was a good tackle with the Niners too he left for the Patriots because they were moving to the Kyle Shanahan offense and Kyle Shanahan scheme and really favored being able to bring in a, a young guy to pair with their left tackle as well so I think that it's that one's the one that to me is the most intriguing because if that does happen, it'd be like on day one of free agency, like one of the first signings that happens, if that's the case, at least, and the Cardinals are willing to pay, you know, dollar money. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I think I think he's he's the 
one of my top names to watch just to see if he get, becomes available. Like he and Mosley, it could be a moot point in the next two exactly. weeks. They could get locked up. And then you're like, oh, well, what do you do now? I think a couple other names that I'd like to see them go after again. Those are the two names specifically that I, I know they have some some kind of interest in, especially Mosley. I mean, how can you not? Um, Donovan Smith, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think that would be a wise investment, mm-hmm. uh, similar age. Mr. Consistency, he's the anti-DJ Humphreys. I don't think he's missed a game since he's come into the NFL as a former second-round pick in 2015. He's been a a solid player, can play left tackle, could supplant Humphreys right away, or you could try to move Humphreys to the right side. I don't really care at this point. I'm not counting on him. Uh, I'm just looking for the best offensive line combination. What I end up thinking they do, Blake, is unless they can score one of these prized tackles that are that are still in their 20s, like their mm-hmm. prime of their career, they've got three or four great years left, is I think they're going to go with a series of one or two-year deals with a bunch of players that are probably over 30, um, like a Ramon Foster type, just just so you can feel the competent O-line next year. Because, you know, I'm, I'm back and forth. I'm like, don't invest in old players. They get hurt, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, but you got to have you got to have bodies up front, right? You got to be able to field an offensive line. Rosen's not going to last. So mm-hmm. I think we'll probably see some kind of a combination of two or three vets, maybe non-sexy names added in free agency to go along with Pew, Humphreys, and Foster or Mason Foster, and or Mason uh, Cole. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the linebacker. Oh, Mason yeah. <laughs> Cole, and then in the draft, <clears throat> assuming they're in position, take take two high picks, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I say high picks, second and fourth on the offensive line, it, if at all possible, really kind of, I know they want to flood that unit and, and see if a couple names stick past 2019, because I think there's a good chance Pew could be gone after next year, depending on if he mm-hmm. can't stay healthy again, have yep. to eat the rest of that money. We think Jermaine Gresham's going to be cut. I know he plays tight end. Humphreys is probably gone. All right, he's, he's, he's not going to make it past this year. It'll be interesting if the Cardinals end up cutting him or releasing him, even after you know they did promise that fifth-year contract. I believe that's something that was signed. I'll have to see what the details would look like because a lot of people wondered if he's a candidate for release, if the Cardinals, you know, hey, sign a left tackle, bring back Joe Barksdale for right tackle. All of a sudden, Humphreys, at least you're paying him all that money in that fifth year. Well, here's really interesting to see. Well, here's what I'll say. A lot of people are, are just assuming it's just, it's a contract year for him, right? So can he yeah. put it all together? I would never give him a long-term deal. I, he is not – even if he played great this year and he played all 16 games, I would franchise him until you're ready to move on. Because yeah, I, I, would, I would franchise tag him that's for the next ready. year since right. he okay, finally made a first year for that one. Let's go ahead. We can franchise tag you versus giving the big deal. And that might be kind of the answer that you would look for for the most part of seeing, okay, you did it one year. Can you do it a second year? And at this point, with this, a lot of the contracts, the Cardinals, the ability that they'll have with the cap room, you could either just start looking into the draft or even trading for teams, you know, other players as far as just copying the Rams method if you're having a need you know, say, hey, we're give up a draft pick that we can use, you know, and develop in two years to be a starter versus trading for a team's active starter if they should become available potentially. Or even if a team is like, hey, we're rebuilding, we've got a franchise left tackle, but we're in the middle of a rebuilding process over here. You could try to see if you, hey, would you give us, you know, a first or second round, we'll give you a first or second round pick, put that towards the rebuilding since you're not going to be contending anytime soon. We'll take that off hands. There's a lot of uh, different moves the Cardinals can make over the long haul. But for fixing it this year, it's going to be interesting to see what the what the path they'll take. I, I've kind of theorized for a bit that I feel like they could be content with fixing four out of the five positions. And if they need to go into this next year with 
Humphreys and Cunningham, at least for that one, knowing, hey, it's a contract year for DJ Humphreys. We know that we've got Wetzel and Cunningham can man the position. The other four positions we can fix. Then maybe in 2020, you're able to take a look at either the salary cap or the the draft. It's the first round of the draft. Keep a guy in a salary control, you know, context, kind of like what you wanted to do with DJ Humphreys. Um, I think those are the options if you don't end up kind of getting that guy who you know you can pay and lock it down for the next few years. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens to the strategy. Again, like you say, a male, I'll come down to who's actually available. If Trent Brown's not available, they might not be able to take that route. Totally All right. agree. All right, let's go ahead and um, let's talk a little bit, at least with the, uh, just with what's coming up, at least with the draft and with the combine. Uh, I'd love to be able to get into some of that. But first, let's go and talk about the big topic that is seemingly has kind of swept through the NFL, which is the drama of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The news today, Le'Veon Bell, essentially, at least, you know, I think he had talked about, uh, he quoted Martin Luther King Jr. as like free at last in a tweet. I'm still blocked by him, of course. I know some people who are either followers may know the story, at least about how uh, Le'Veon went on kind of a long national rant about how people weren't studying his film against Mel Kuyper Jr., uh, you know, the Todd McShay, the big draft guys for that. And I, you know, sent a tweet like, oh, yeah, I agree with you. They're not watching, like, you know, the right film correctly. And he interpreted it almost the opposite way <laughs> and then blocked me about I was, you know, complaining or saying something negative. All right, that's that's how it is sometimes on social media. But Le'Veon... People get angry, Blake. People yeah, yeah I, know, I know there's people who are there. But, you know, it's, it's just, the, you know, some people throw the block button up. That's just how it is. Um, the biggest one I know, at least with him, is that he's officially, you know, going to have no franchise tag, no transition tag. He'll be a free agent. The other news that came out, at least, was Antonio Brown met with the Steelers. Steelers are going to seemingly be working toward a trade and release, even though that it's going to essentially hurt the Steelers in cap room. Antonio Brown potentially could have a new team as early as next year. So you're looking at probably about three or so years of control for you know maybe the best wide receiver in the game, if not probably at least you're arguing about a top three. He's still obviously in his prime as far as with his career, with being able to perform and deliver he's only 30 years old he'll be 31 when the season starts and I think that this is the big question a lot of Cardinals fans and other NFL teams have been asking is would your team be willing to trade for a guy who's a potential superstar who also has been having strange interviews strange posts weird social media rants you know new haircuts dyed blonde mustache all of these types of strange behavior that seem to sum up more of a Terrell Owens or even an Ocho Cinco and a lot of fans are just saying, all right, is this a guy that we even want to be considering trading for? So, John, let's go and kind of delve into this. Is this kind of an area where the Cardinals should be taking advantage of this in their position to be making a trade for Antonio Brown? Or is this kind of an area where you say, hey, this is a buyer beware. Don't make this mistake. Let someone else be the team who trade, trades for him. Your thoughts, John? Uh, well, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if it's a buyer's beware because I, I think if he does leave, wherever he ends up, I think he's going to be productive. Uh, you know, it was floated around today that Green Bay should flip one of their first round picks for him. I, I'm, if I was a Green Bay Packard fan, I told the to be on board with that. You've got multiple first rounders. You've got a quarterback who's 35. You're trying to win a Super Bowl today. It makes a lot of sense for probably, you know, 12, 15 teams in this league. If you feel like he could get you, quote unquote, no pun intended, over the top. For the Arizona Cardinals, though, you're picking first in the draft area, a full-blown rebuild. You're going to take on a hefty salary on a 31-year-old receiver and give up prime draft capital in the process. It's just, it's not good business. Um, don't get me wrong, the Cardinals would benefit from him. Uh, how much better? I, I don't know. No, no other player in, other in Las Vegas on a on a gambling line is worth more than a point other than the quarterback. So 
Um, <laughs> I, I, be, I believe that, that, that he would come in and, and help them score points, but at the same time, you know, what are you, what, at what cost? I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up to what the Cardinals are going to end up doing. In my opinion, <clears throat> I, I do think that he's going to fetch probably a first round pick. I mean, heck, they got a third rounder from Artavius Bryant a year ago. And, and now you're talking about probably the best receiver in football, certainly a, a surefire Hall of Fame player. And he's a former six-round pick, so he's got, a, you know, a, a chip on his shoulder that he yep. still carries to this day. And I think, you know, you watch him, he may be a little eccentric in the media with folks, you know, out, out in the open, off the field, but he is a baller on the field. And again, if this was the Cardinal team with Carson Palmer and the Cardinals needed another receiver opposite Larry Fitzgerald, which they did, and you had a first-round pick in the 20s, and you wanted to go, for, I'd, be, I'd be all in on Antonio Brown, especially if you think about you know, Larry's year to year and you don't have anybody in the pipeline. The Cardinals have so many needs, people. They need a, basically a brand new offensive line. <clears throat> they need at least two players on their defensive line. They need two new starting inside linebackers, one at minimum. Secondary looks pretty good. Offensively, yes, they could use one, if not two or three receivers, mm-hmm. two or three tight ends, you know, depth at running back. They, 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 they're the quintessential first overall pick because they have so many needs. They were the worst watch in the NFL last year. And I know a lot of that had to do with coaching. But, again, wrong place, wrong time. And it's not an indictment of Antonio Brown. If, I don't care about the off-the-field stuff. If you took any 31-year-old receiver and said, hey, he's super productive, we want your first-round pick, or let's say for the Cardinals' sake, they all they asked for was pick 33, I think I still would pass because you're talking mm-hmm. pick 33, which could easily become pick 32 if you wanted that fifth-year option, Blake, uh, which would probably only cost you maybe a fourth-rounder, maybe a future fourth-rounder. If you wanted to move up one spot for that fifth-year option, that's five years of premium you know, quality. That's two. That's a two first round picks. Or whoever the top player is in the second round who falls, you can either trade that pick back. So you could either be able to say it's a cheap cost to move up one spot, or you could just say, hey, it's a really cheap um, ability for another team to trade up, but you're going to be able to get more picks out of it. You could even then leverage that saying, hey, you know, this player slipped to day two. You know, if you want to come up and get him, you're going to have to negotiate with us. You've got two third rounders this year. There's a lot that you can figure out that where I do understand that the pick is pretty valuable for a lot of that too and that that is part of the argument i've seen from a lot of fans of where they're saying yeah i would prefer to hold on to that pick is what i've seen from a lot of fans i well, disagree and, with some areas with that and i'll get into that with my end but yeah finish your thought first well i just i do know what folks are saying like don't give time more draft capital to screw <laughs> up right and that you have every right to say that his first round picks have been egregious and and none of them have hit you know knock on wood for josh rosen but like I get that. I, I He's done better when he's traded for players, Carson Palmer and Chandler Jones. So I, I get that mindset. You trade for proven players. I think you do that when you're in a championship window or if you're giving up day three capital like the Cardinals did in 2013. Not when you're picking first overall. Like I, I see the same thing floated around with the Raiders, and you can't put anything past John Gruden. But like, why would they give up one of their first-round picks after trading a 24-year-old wide receiver? It doesn't make any sense. Now, if you, if you want to talk about Odell Beckham, who is still in the midst of, you would think, entering his prime of his career and has just started his second contract. That's a conversation I'd love to have for pick 33. But yeah, well, I would, I'd time, say that would be like a, you know, whoever's got a first-round pick and a second-round pick potentially for Odell just because of the age and everything goes into. There's a lot that goes into that with, with Odell, obviously, for that one just because age. And that is the one thing about a 31-year-old wide receiver is you don't know how many of them are going to be fits and how many of them are going to hit the wall, obviously. So there is definitely a risk that's involved there. 
the, this is one of the questions I'll kind of at least pose, and this is kind of my perspective on it, is I think that when you're talking about with the picks, at least for with the, the idea of taking a, a veteran who's not just like, you know, at a, a solid level, but a superstar type caliber level that Antonio Brown has been, and you're looking at the current contract, the Steelers would take on the bulk of the contract in the first year. So it's not like you're taking on a huge cap hit. You've got the second year, and then there's also even kind of a third year of control, or you could franchise tag him if you wanted to as well. For me, I think the biggest question I've had at least is, what's going to be in the value of a known quantity who's a superstar in Antonio Brown for that one with all of whatever baggage may come in versus spending the pick on an unknown player because for me the balance I'd say is well here's then kind of the risk that's there there is still a bit of reward is you got no knowing that that pick at 33 or being able to move up or down or anything is going to pan out whereas you know that's that fair. Antonio Brown is a superstar you've got control under contract for two years a third if you do franchise tag him so it's kind of almost like a hey let's say if I told you you're going to draft a Kelvin Harmon or, say, a Nikhil Harry. They're going to be in the league for three years straight at a superstar performance level, and then they'll tear their knee or they'll retire. Would you take the pick 33 and say it's worth for those three years of superstardom while Rosen's on a rookie contract? I would say absolutely. I think it would be worth at least for that pick as far as the on-the-field play for what's there, and especially considering the fact that if the Steelers this year would be taking on most of the contract and you get more cap room as Rosen goes on for those next two years, I would be fine with taking this shot at least from the on-field. The off-field is the big question of, are you going to be then bringing in a diva who's, you know, complaining or not seeing like a lot of the reasons why Antonio Brown is going through all of this, despite everything. It isn't just because of either big Ben or the other drama. Part of it is he's a 31 year old wide receiver who had Juju Smith-Schuster have a bigger and better year than him. And he's kind of going through the not quite midlife crisis, but whatever the closest that you can have as an NFL player is around 30. A lot of guys do go through those type of periods. And so I'm not sure if a move to a new team would be refreshing. We've seen at least people argue Larry Fitzgerald would keep him in check. I think we've seen kind of a little bit of a difference from that with looking at Anquan Bolden and with Michael Floyd. There's definitely been plenty of drama there. For me, I think that the benefit at least of – bringing him in and being a known quantity. It's like it tips the scales at like a 51-49 for me, but there's still enough of concerns that you've said and talked about where, where does he end up fitting where the talent is? Are you going to try to win a Super Bowl with him kind of on the roster? Are you going to be able to invest so much of these dollars into kind of these wide receivers, at least for Rosen? with being able to, you know, not just say, hey, we're going to bring in a lot of fresh talent, bring it around, make some trades maybe for some veteran players that we can then extend to longer deals similar to Brandon Cooks. There's a lot of things that go into it. I don't really have a dog in the fight. I think it would be a huge, big, and exciting thing. When What I do like at least is if the highest that other teams will give is a second-round pick, they don't want to give up a first because of the age or the contract or whatever it is, then the Cardinals can beat any other team if they want to bring him in. If a team is willing to give up a first-round pick, and I think the Packers and the Raiders are two that stand out, then you're basically beaten because you're not going to you know, surrender two seconds, probably, I'd say, for Antonio Brown, or you're not going to give up a future first, and you're not obviously giving up the number one pick. So I think it's nice to think about. I think it would be just kind of a – put it out there, see exactly where it'll be, what a team is looking for, what a team is willing to give up. If you can get him, I think it's great. It's an exciting addition for that one. It fills a huge need. You've got a guy who's a, a complete playmaker. Exactly what you'd be looking for would be the biggest benefit. The detractor, of course, would be questions and worry that you would have, as well as also the fact that you're essentially, you know, going to give up a young player, like you said, on about four years of control for a, three years of control for a superstar. I honestly don't care about the, the extra kind of years of control as much. And if you do land a superstar at that pick, 
fantastic, but I think that's not as much as knowing a known quantity. Like it's a lot, if you told, if Larry Fitzgerald said, Hey, I'll sign a deal with you for the next three years and then I'm retiring. Or you could say, Hey, uh, here's pick 33 at least. And, uh, I think that most fans would take that three years knowing that there's a limit or there's a cap on that for the most part over the pick. Biggest problem is you're not getting Larry Fitzgerald to getting a guy who has no, no, no. forced his way out of the Pittsburgh Steelers in a great situation where he's been where they've rewarded him handsomely. He's kind of forced his way out in a very, very, you know, difficult and drama filled way where a lot of people are wondering if, you know, he tanked his own stock for what he could get from other teams on his way out the door. And that is the big concern of whatever positives that you want to put in. Like I said, it's like a fifty one to forty nine for me. There's a lot of negatives and other things that are weighing the opposite direction as well. Yeah, I mean, like, if, I, if, we, if we woke up tomorrow, right, and the Cardinals had a deal in place for pick 33, like, I would be excited. I'd be a little bit disappointed because I, I want that player. I think that it's, it's a little bit crazy to believe. The draft can be really fun for a lot of the hope and stuff yeah. that's there. And it's also with a pick, you're like, oh, wake up on day two and the Cardinals don't have the pick. Now you've got Antonio It's such Brown, an elite place pick. to be, too. Like, best available, and they got 10 players, and you can have any of those. Because really, at this point, in my opinion, the first round for the Cardinals, you know, unless something happens at quarterback, which I don't expect, and they don't trade down, you know, months in advance, the first pick's going to be anticlimactic. It's, it's going to be Nick Bosa. Pick 33, which I would have still equated. I think anything in the top 40, me is a, if you're a top 40 player, you're a first round pick, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you have a first round grade most, most of the time right. by a team. And so you get a player at 33 that he and, he and Nick Bosa are going to be able to come in and, and you would think start right away for you and be good players for you. And I just, I think that's such a rare spot to be in for this franchise. I don't want them to consistently have the first overall pick. I, I'm sure as hell glad Kime is taking advantage of having the number one waiver claim. And I know he's been, he's, you talk about it, he's been stingy with his draft picks in years past. He hasn't had the motivation to move up outside of what we saw with Rosen and then a little bit with Buda Baker. But I just, it, for me, it's, it's a tough selling point because you think about where this team was a year ago. I, I think this would have been a move that they would have oh, been yeah. all over. This is a you heard Michael Bidwell two two years ago say in the press conference when they were look or a year ago looking for their head coach like we this is a retool not a rebuild. Mm-hmm. They didn't use those key phrases those sh- that shtick in this off season right like clearly the Cardinals have a lot of issues. They were the worst offensive team in the last probably twenty years statistically, and they have the first overall pick like. We can't sell this other than anything as a, other than anything as a rebuild. And right. I just I don't know how a thirty one year old fits into that. I just don't. Yeah, it fits in mostly I think for Roden's development and the idea of when you're on a rookie quarterback contract, you do what the Rams did, you do what the Seahawks did what the Philadelphia Eagles did and you make those trades for those players I think the big question is is that the right time to do that in you know 2019 versus maybe 20, 2020 I think is the per if you show growth and you get to six and ten and you've got a bunch of young players you're excited about say, you probably I think that the team could if you get back to eight and eight like if you're looking at the Eagles right. in that rookie year with Wentz or even looking at the Rams man I think a little bit overperformed some of that was yeah Seattle. they're an outlier though I think and some of it was also you know the, the Cardinals took a step back and so I'll, I I do agree a lot of that is an outlier. It also did take the league by storm in the fact that they were, I think, at the time a bit more talented than the Cardinals, at least currently on defense. Cardinals are having to restack some of the deck because some of their picks have missed. On offense, everything was just a big mess, and they still had players who were there. Like, it was kind of the culmin- The best way you can look at it is it's kind of that college coach like it, who ends up kind of leaving a program but leaves a lot of those starters and who are like really good players in place 
new coach comes in, reformat some stuff with kind of the other team's players, add some of his own guys that own different things in, and kind of renovates and changes a lot of things. And there's a reason why a lot of teams have wanted to, you know, copy the Sean McMahon method. It's just been a crazy two-year turnaround from, you know, a team that basically went traded up for quarterback number one and then had a terrible year that went – four and 12 ended up with the number two overall pick, I think in the following draft that they'd already shipped off to the skin. So they weren't able to get anything from it. Uh, was it the skin? No, they already shipped off the pick. I believe to the Titans. Actually, it was a, uh, it was a, a little bit higher than the, uh, the number two pick that was from the previous RG three trade. Actually, I was, I was wrong on that, but, and then to be able to turn it around and, you know, from 2017 and then to 2018 um, to be able to just have such a huge turnaround that they're making the Super Bowl in that second year of that head coach. I think that the Cardinals have that as a possibility. So that's why I'm not as opposed to it. But I do agree with you is if the time frame is like that, where you're committed to this contract and you end up still having a mess on your hands a year later that you're having to fix for one reason or another and you tie it into that contract then for the next year, maybe even a second year with a player who you know doesn't want to be there, doesn't feel like the team is contending that's going to be a tough spot to be in if you are having all these other distractions and you just embraced a new one. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I would agree at least over at you that that's right. I, I still lean a little bit more towards it because I think it's a known playmaker. But then if you do say, hey, Cardinals going to give up, say, a fourth or a fifth round pick for a veteran wide receiver on another team, maybe that ends up kind of solving the problem. Doesn't get you a superstar level as much as maybe the Cardinals can't even afford what the cost and the going rate's going to be of teams. But it would not be shocking for me at all to see Steve Kime at least be willing to try looking at that pick number 33, at least for the most part, if he does want to truly copy the St. Louis Rams method. Yeah. And I, th- I do think Blake that we could see a day three pick move for, for a veteran wide receiver. I think that the Cardinals are hurt because I think they're in the market for a receiver. I just don't mm-hmm. think it'll be Antonio Brown. I think if an Alshon Jeffrey was in this free agent class, uh, I think he's somebody I th- that kind of player, right? like a second tier receiver who would be the kind of the perfect option outside defense. of yeah, yeah. Yeah, Larry and, and Christian Kirk. I, I think they want that kind of player. And for the most part, guys like that, they hit the market just about every year. This year's kind of an outlier year or a down year for receivers in the free agent market, unless you like Golden Tate, who right now is an older version of Christian Kirk, we hope. And so you're, you're probably not going to go down that Avenue. Yeah. So I, I would invest in it maybe in the draft if possible, if the right player falls to you. And I would probably wait until the 2020 free agent class, when hopefully you're a little bit more stable on your line of scrimmages. Yeah. And that's where, and obviously that's the other thing we can talk about. We've talked about opportunity cost with the Cardinals. If they did decide to go out and, you know, if they did decide to draft a quarterback overall, they would that would be a huge opportunity cost not just in contract but then taking away from a player uh let's go ahead and at least be able to see uh, leave us yeah some of the comments obviously fans if you've got to take an antonio brown i put the poll up at least for that with uh, for if cardinals fans are looking to say hey or would you be wanting to trade that 33rd pick overall for a player like antonio brown had a lot of votes had a lot of comments over there too i saw everything from like you know some fans who are like you know would give up you know just as much some fans who are just like you know i'm staying as far away as possible with that the biggest thing that's interesting i think is that what i and i think you and i can agree on this john is you want to make sure you know what the value of that pick 33 is but don't be afraid to say that an nfl veteran is usually worth more than that draft pick because they're proven and we've seen it especially with steve kime in those picks if you gave steve kime multiple first round picks and got more Humphreys or more Kandichis. That's definitely going to be an issue that the team would have of having all those problems moving forward of, you know, 
it, it gives you more kind of chances to miss. And that's part of where I think where we've talked about the idea of trading back, especially too. And that was one of the things I wanted to ask and talk a little bit about before I moved on. We spent a lot of time talking about Nick Bosa. We spent a lot of time talking about the other players who are after him with Allen and Quinn and Williams. We've got the NFL combine this, this week. There's going to be a lot of questions that people have. Is, is Nick Bosa going to be overrated? Is he going to be the best player in the draft overall? What I think you and I at least have agreed on is when you're talking about trading back, you can get a lot of picks and fill maybe needs. But as far as a player becoming a success or not, you're really going to end up having to say, oh, the players who are there going to ever amount to the guy you passed on. And I think that really comes down to the idea of, hey, if you're a team that passed on, you know, Nick Bo- uh, like Nick Bosa and you end up taking a guy who's a later caliber talent, is it really worth the guy you gave up from? I know looking at Julio Jones with the trades that the Browns made, you look at even the Carson Wentz deal, the players that they acquired usually end up with about two or three successes, one usually pretty good success overall, but usually none of the players ever end up amounting to the thing that you're passing on. So that's kind of the question I have, John, is if the Cardinals, what would be kind of the range with the Cardinals that you think that if they do get these amount of selections or trading back to this area, you'd be willing to trade on? And is there a limit to what you would have for trading back out of fears or saying, hey, the Cardinals, like they're, they're going to lose this deal if they end up making this type of level? What would be kind of your limit that you would have as far as for being able to make kind of a move back? Yeah, great question. It's, it's the question right now because it's a kind of a twofold hitter, right? You got to be sure of the players and the picks that you get. Um, I wouldn't worry about, you know, who's the first overall pick because I think that's going to be a quarterback in my opinion. If somebody's moving up and giving up future draft capital, mm. prime real estate in the NFL draft, they're going up for a quarterback, either mm. Murray or Haskins, Drew Locke. They got a guy in mind to take first overall, right? And so you're going to trade down to potentially four or six or seven. And who are you leaving at pick number two for the San Francisco 49ers? You're giving <laughs> yes. them, you're gifting them Nick Bosa, who's going to be in your division, potentially wreaking havoc on um, your subpar offensive line, your egregious offensive line. Uh, there's, there's no question that's got to be going through their mind. So if you can get past that, what kind of capital would it need to be? I'm kind of at, I'm, I'm, Ending up at the point now where I, I do not think a move down is wise because of that reason, because how much I like Nick Bosa mm-hmm. outside of my only trading partner would be the Oakland Raiders mm-hmm. because they have multiple first rounders this year. You could, you could fill uh, multiple positions of need this year right away and get those players implemented in your camp. Steve Kime is essentially year to year. Why does he want future draft capital, right? Um, I do think you can get Quinn and Williams at four. I don't think the Jets <clears> – <throat> or clearly the Niners would take him. <laughs> Excuse me. And even, if, and even if they do take him, I think that the, you're looking at, as we talked about four, you probably have maybe four elite players in this draft as far as being able to, depending on how you feel about Ed Oliver, I still think that he's an elite talent and player just from looking at the film and how he's blown up. He was special since he stepped on the field as a freshman. You're looking at Bosa, Williams, um, and Allen would probably be the other fourth guy, although I do yeah. think it He's the guy that's been the most interesting. I think we can talk some about him, at least as far as, is he kind of a guy who's going to end up blossoming into more of like a Chandler Jones 3-4, like a pure type of solid edge rusher? Or is this kind of more of like your typical, like is this going to be like a the Anthony Barr top five hype kind is of it, Is this an Aaron Curry, maybe? Like yeah, that's, I, I don't it, know if it's, it's an Aaron real... Curry, because he, he seems to have a much better work ethic, but is this kind of a guy who, with a lot of the sacks and production that he got, where sometimes there was unblocked, sometimes there's there the athleticism is there, but it just doesn't seem like he's as dominant 
confident as far as the player. That's the biggest thing I had people. Some people are saying, hey, I'm sold. He's the number one player in this draft. He's the top guy that's there. I don't see that. I still yeah. think that he's more of an Anthony Barr than a Von Miller. If he was a Von Miller, that would be kind of the case. Then all of a sudden you're saying, okay, if you're choosing between, you know, a Joey Bosa or a Nick Bosa and a Von Miller, and you've got a Quinn Williams, a guy who, you know, is probably going to be right up there. But if he's not Gerald McCoy, maybe he's even a step further, even if you can get like, you know, Chris Jones out of him. And then you're talking about Ed Oliver, another guy who's just as disruptive. Those are your top four players. I'm like, hey, if you've got them all ranked equally, go ahead, trade back to four. You know, you're, you're going to say take one of those players. I just think that from looking at everything, Bosa still seems to be a bit head and shoulders above the players who are there at least. And obviously I think there's room for that to change. The combine is next week. If Bosa goes out, you know, and all of a sudden ends up getting hurt at the combine or goes out, isn't as maybe as impressive when other, another guy all we're talking about is, oh, look what Quinn and Williams did at least 20 years old. He was just having this and this. And that maybe will be there. There's room to change. Uh, interviews will be key, obviously. But I think for right now, I think that Bosa is the clear-cut guy who's there at number one. And I think the people who are saying it's not as clear-cut, I think that there's a little bit more we can get into that. But for the most part, the people who I think I talk to and trust for the most part are just saying, hey, it's Bosa at least at number one overall. It's probably not that close for the most part. Quinnen is the guy who's closest. But he did it for one year at Alabama. You know, that's yeah. the one question. He's 20. He's super young. But we do it for one year versus stepping on the field and you're like, you know, as a fr- true freshman, essentially the you know, Big 12 defensive player of the year they had, and they gave that award to you above of a couple other guys who some people argued were more deserving, but they just said, hey, look, Nick, <laughs> Nick was the most impressive guy who played this year, and he was a freshman. To me, I, I think that I agree with you. The only, the only place I would trade back would be with the Raiders, and for me, it wouldn't take, you know, four and 27 and a second rounder or a future. No. I would take the three first that you have and just say, hey, you want the three first? Here, go ahead, and that's where you'd be taking, at least whether it's for Kyler, whether it's for even if they are taking Nick Bosa, that would be kind of the asking price that I would have. And even then, if they did say, hey, yes, I'm offering the three first round picks, I would then take it back to my scouts and be like, hey, they're offering three first. Are we missing something with this guy if we're trading back for the three first, if they're willing to trade yeah, up for this one? It's almost point. kind of like you raise the bar to such a high level, and if someone's willing to meet it, then you just say, hey, like, we're not going to do it. That's exactly, I think, what happened with the uh, Cleveland Browns when I remember when they offered all of those picks to the uh, to the Los Angeles Rams to be able to go up and get RG3. Uh, Ram, Rams essentially said, uh, I think it was actually Andrew Luck. They offered all of these like three first-round picks or something to yeah. Colts for Andrew Luck. Colts said, nope, we're keeping Luck. If that's the type of deal that they're getting, you should be taking that guy. So that's mm-hmm. where I think it'll be fascinating to see if the Cardinals... Which I don't envision that's t- happening. It just Because it's not for a quarterback. That's yeah. what doesn't happen. If it is the well, three first-round picks, Gruden would be crazy to trade Khalil Mack for three first-round picks. Right. And all three of those to go out and get Nick Bosa. <laughs> like okay, <laughs> like I from what I've heard, Blake the the Niners would like to trade down. John Middlecoff, mm-hmm. who's in the Bay Area, the Niners want to trade down and get more picks. The New York Jets, after giving up, they don't have a second rounder this year. They gave up nope. their second rounder last year to move up last year. They'd like to trade down. So real, realistically, like if the Raiders want a quarterback, they're going to have trade partners from one to three, and they can manipulate that. And those teams can potentially manipulate John Gruden. But it's not like the the Raiders, or excuse me, the, the Niners and the Jets need a QB. Have to stand still. Like, I, I, you, that's what happens, right? The, yeah. There's 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 Josh Rosen, and there's Jimmy Garoppolo, and there's Sam Darnold, and then there's Oakland, right? Yeah. And so Oakland may feel like I like Kyler Murray, 
if he's there, great. If not, you know, maybe we go with a different quarterback. Maybe we go with an edge rusher to replace Cleo Mack. Maybe or you've we got like the picks. You swap up with San Francisco right. if you need to. Yeah, the, like the, yeah that's the, you're right. You're totally right, John. The, the fact that there's multiple teams that already have quarterbacks after the Cardinals means I think that teams can call their bluff in the most part and say, hey, Arizona, like, we're going to call your bluff and say, if you're yeah. not, you're going to take Nick Bosa. We know you will. So we can trade up to two because we know you're not going to be taking a quarterback. So that's where I can't help but think that some of that's Kyler Murray talk might be partially drawn from Arizona oh, no doubt obviously no. because it's hey we're gonna go ahead and target the quarterback who not just because of what Cliff said and all of a sudden it's hey I, I think honestly if the Cliff interview hadn't come out you probably would be having a lot more talk going on about Dwayne Haskins potentially hey should the Cardinals you know we've even had I think Mark May at least from ESPN even talked and said he would take Haskins over Rosen which I found kind of hilarious because when I watched Haskins Rosen really stood out as far as this is kind of what Josh Rosen probably would have looked like if he'd gone to Ohio State and had that yeah. that scheme around him you probably would be getting what Dwayne Haskins looked like and Rosen was you know a lot more polished and a lot more of as far as being able to uh, to move into process and deliver the ball in a lot of different ways. It was interesting to be able to see that that's probably the idea that would have come up in Arizona would be more than content to let it out. The fact that people stumble onto the interview, it's like they've almost kind of, I think in some cases embrace it. Now that is going to be kind of the interesting question of the combine is let's say that Kyler Murray goes out and kind of ends up looking like a, a mini Mahomes kind of running around there with a lot of things. It's a <laughs> And that's going to be kind of the question of, do you think that that's going to be worth it for the Cardinals to say, hey, you know, we're impressed by what Rosen did. He still was Steve Kimes quarterback for, I do think that Cliff, and I even detailed some of this in the article, we've talked about it last week. I do think Cliff really ended up selling because he took the job because of Rosen. Yeah, absolutely. Think there's any type of chance overall that that is any type of a case where they would draft Kyler? Because for me, I think it's kind of like it's one of the longer long shots because I don't yeah. think that you need to have a quarterback specifically. Like, somebody's like, why did you have Josh Rosen when you could have Mahomes? Well, Mahomes and his team, they didn't make it to the Super Bowl this year. They made it to the AFC Championship game. It was great. Maybe they make it to multiple Super Bowls, but guys like Aaron Rodgers has had one Super Bowl appearance. Matt Ryan's had one Super Bowl appearance. Colin Kaepernick, Nick, uh, even Nick Foles has had one Super Bowl appearance. A lot of these quarterbacks, when you're talking about it, all you need as far as a franchise quarterback is usually a guy who can get you there with repeated, sustained success. After the intermediate that, passing game. Exactly. You got to be able to drive exactly. off the intermediate passing game. You got to be accurate. And those, those yep. are Rosen's strong suits when he's upright. Exactly. And again, the, and you got to be able to have a, a team that's built around it. That's what right. the Super Bowl is a team. He's not going to carry a team, and we talked about that before There's the no draft. There's no quarterback like, that can carry a team to completely to wherever it is. There's no Andrew Luck in this draft. There's no, there was no Carson Wentz in this draft. Like, even last year, we talked about it. Like, each one of those quarterbacks needed things to go right to have success. Even Baker struggled up until he got he looked, he yeah. looked better for a while than most of them. Like, okay, Baker's a little better, maybe been a little more accurate so far. He had a slightly better line. He had better weapons in each oh, Get a way better line, absolutely. Yeah, well, some of that was, I mean, well, that was, was interesting. A lot of it was just whatever it was. It was like Tyrod took a lot of different sacks. They're like, wow, like Baker's going to get mauled behind this line. Mayfield came in and the line at least improved or got better. Whether that was the offensive coordinator shifting, changing some of the things up to try to help him as a being a rookie, how much of that was um, Baker being able to know where it was. And there's a lot of things that went into it, but it wasn't until he got into the right spot with the right play callers, able to take the current scheme and adjust it to actually start getting the ball to their weapon being able to throw the ball to Nick Chubb, that things turned around. And that's where I think the Cardinals are at right now is, is that they're in the spot of trying to build towards what these teams have. And that's where I think that if you're going to go ahead and take the you know, defensive player who, you know, having the two ends, that's kind of the reason. I've talked to a couple people who are 
rotating between Allen and Williams. I do think that you would lean toward Allen or Bosa over Williams. And the reason why is because not only are edge players usually more valuable, they're a lot harder to find at least really, really good ones. Like you're usually those are the guys who you have to either trade for and pay or the guys who are all getting franchise tagged this year. I think you even mentioned it, John, all the top edge players this year, all getting franchised or signed to big deals because yeah. they just don't grow on trees. And that's the area of you're in a spot where you can take a player who's there. <laughs> you can even take him ahead of the team that would take him if he was on the board there at the Niners. So I, I've leaned toward a little bit of that. And that's where I think just to kind of wrap up the Bosa talk, at least that's the number one thing I'm looking at this combine is I want to see Nick Bosa come in and basically show and prove that he is that number one guy who's going to be, you know, like, you know, leave no doubts behind for that one with whatever it is, whether it's medical checks or just the on-field test. I want him to be able to show up and have people being like, oh yeah, like Joey Bosa was a top three pick and Nick Bosa just went out and just blew things away for the most part. That's what I'm looking forward to as my top thing in this combine. Um, moving on to a little bit more of combine talk, John, what are some of the top storylines that you're looking for as we kind of approach this combine thing. I mean, outside of the fact that the Bengals still don't have a defensive coordinator before the combine, which goodness, I, mean, I feel really sad, at least for their coach, at least for the most part, having to work with that. But that's like kind of the, maybe one of the bigger national stories is how the Bengals are going to figure out and scout without anyone knowing what even their defense is going to look like for this year. What are kind of the biggest things that you're looking for as far as with storylines off the top of your head that you can take a look at, especially for players that you'd be looking at for the Cardinals? Yeah, it's a couple different things, Blake. Obviously, I want to see how Nikhil Harry runs. I know being the local kid, I, I think he's an option absolutely for the Cardinals second round pick, or even if they were to trade back a little bit in the second round, if he's able to run somewhere around four or five, I, I think he could solidify himself as a, as a solid late twenties, first round pick. Uh, and I think everybody in the, in the Valley is rooting for him to do well. I think this is one of the strongest tight end classes that, that I can imagine or the, that I can remember. Uh, and so how all these guys shake out the two from Iowa stick out to me, but you know, I'm looking specifically at kind of the second tier offensive tackle group with an Andre Dillard or maybe a Cody Ford or a, a Greg little or Jawan Taylor, somebody like that to potentially fall to pick 33 that the Cardinals have an opportunity to snag, or if they even want to trade up a couple picks. Um, I just, I think it's that important because unless you're able to secure, you know, a stud and free agency, like we talked about, like that's a position generally, if those guys succeed, they're, they're going to be, you know, first, second round picks. And so um, I, I love watching the linemen do go through drills. I, I love watching their footwork and their technique. And I feel like I'm doing it every year because it's a position of need year in and year out for the Arizona Cardinals. So I probably <clears throat> will not watch the defensive linemen and the edge rushers all that closely uh, at least the top guys, because we know who the Cardinals are going to go with. And a little bit back to Nick Bosa. I mean, Bosa, to me, he's been prepping for this since he's been hurt in the fall, so he should perform well. I expect mm -hmm. him to perform well. But, um, yeah, I, I love the offensive lineman drills, um, and I want to see these guys ball out because I want there to be, you know, the Dalton Reisners of the world, the, the interior players, the interior linemen, the Nate Herbergs and the Garrett Bradberries, these, these players that – are, are going to be options for the Cardinals because they need a plug and play starter. I think on the offensive line at that pick, I just think it makes too much sense. You're going to go defense uh, at a position of need to some extent, but like it is dire straits on the offensive line. And I, I just hope they have a player graded high enough that they can constitute using that pick on him because theoretically, like they have so many needs. If they took an inside linebacker, would I love it? No, but I would get it. If they took, if they took a D tackle clearly makes sense, right? If they took a tight end, yeah, that's that's 
that how much does that position translate to success? You could argue it. Is that a is that a luxury position? Well, George Kittle would 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 beg to differ <laughs> on a bad team. So yep. like there there are scenarios that I go. But at the end of the day, like you're 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 only as good as your quarterback, and your quarterback's only as good generally with your offensive line. I, I just I think that that pick is specifically right now tailored for the best available offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, there's a couple other things I think to look at. One of the ones that was interesting was one of the players I know a lot of Cardinals fans were looking at interested in was Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown out of Oklahoma. Uh, with a list, Frank, um, injury at least, undergoing surgery. Should be fine from what they're saying as far as with camp or being able to be ready for the season. But it's definitely a question because we've seen guys who had those types of injuries like Des Bryant and Victor Cruz essentially have like – you know, careers that are down. Now, both of those guys were closer to 30, um, which is the one thing as far as with healing. Uh, it can be difficult. We have seen other guys like Julio Jones and other players be able to bounce back. Uh, Julian Edelman, I believe, was one, although, you know, perhaps he was, you know, had the, a little bit of assistance with the four-game suspension that he ended up with, was got hit with at the beginning of the year. But that is kind of one of those interesting questions of, you know, with the speed, the size, being able to have one of those burners that are there, especially with a spread out offense like Cliff. And he's a very effective intermediate route runner as well, not just as a deep threat, but being able to run intermediate routes and gain separation. So that's kind of an interesting question, at least just to pose, John, is, is, is the Cardinals, as far as with taking chances on injured players, like another one I think of bringing up with of Jeffrey Simmons, uh, or maybe a top 10 talent at a, you know, domestic violence type of issue, at least in the past. Part of the reason he wasn't invited to participate in the combine, although he'll still be there to be able to go through the medical checks that all interviews will be important. We've seen kind of have an interesting type of stance as far as being kind of in some of the gray areas, some areas that kind of hard line, it seems and others that kind of seem to let slide a bit uh, interviews may be key there. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Cardinals as far as with taking the chance on a player who, potentially may end up having, you know, this incredible amount of ceiling versus the amount of the fact that you're not going to be able to see them at least work out or maybe even have a whole big amount of impact from the start. Cause I've got some opinion stuff that I know about that. I wanted to hear some of your thoughts at least on that. Yeah, I don't love it. I love it. I, I excuse me. I like it for other teams who have an ability to do that. Like Sidney Jones last year with Philadelphia, the cornerback that had torn his ACL, I think, and wasn't going to be ready until, maybe early to mid-season. I mean, that's a team that had just come off a of Super Bowl. Those kind of teams can do that. It didn't work out for the Niners, but um, they – was it their GM, Trent Baalke, loved to take guys late and, and, and get a bunch of yep. players who had maybe top 50 grades in the third or fourth round that were ACL guys. None of those guys – the Tank Carradines, none of those guys panned out, yeah, right? Marshawn Lattimore. Um, the car, I'm not opposed to doing that in normal circumstances, but with the Cardinals history of injured players early, Kim Dietschy's always hurt. Humphreys is always hurt. Buchanan now, uh, the last few years has not been able to stay healthy. This is, this is me talking. This is not, I don't know their opinion on this. I believe they need to take players who have been consistent starters who do not miss time generally. And I, I know that can change the NFL. Jonathan Cooper was never hurt in college. Yep. And they need to take them from traditional powers. They need to take them from proven programs that have been have been competing against, you know, high caliber players, Clemson's, the Alabamas, the Ohio States. Not in every round, but like I think they just they need to invest more in those kind of players that translates on Sunday. And I get it. Like they've had success with small school guys. That's awesome. But like 
Buda Baker was balling for yep. Washington, and they traded up and they took him, and he's been one of the Cardinals' better players. He's, he played Kirk. hurt last year for that too, but he was just needed on the field, and he still was effective, even though he was playing as essentially a linebacker for Steve Wilkes for the most part. It was, yep. it was so that just shows you the value of being able to find those type of guys. I agree. Christian Kirk was in the SEC and balled out, and then uh, Hassan Reddick went to Temple and was a tweener, and they didn't have a position for him. Yeah, and he was a very productive player overall with a lot of things, but there were still some questions overall because the yeah. comp that they gave and for again, him. again, I'm not trying to bash small comp was Von, The comp was Von Miller that they gave for right. him that one, and they didn't use him like Von Miller. So that's what they I don't, don't think at least – I don't want to make it a bashing of the small school guy. I just – and it, the small school guy works, you know, generally, like you can have success, like – the Cardinals need to get back to basics and take proven commodities who can stay healthy. Mm -hmm. That they, they need guys. You forget Pro Bowls and great players. They need players that, at the end of the day, can line up on Sundays and play competent football. Like we've reached that point where their 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 first round picks haven't been able to do that. They haven't been able. You haven't been able to have a, an honest assessment of Kimbichi and Humphreys when they're on the field because they just haven't played enough, right? right. Yep, definitely agree with that. And that was kind of the the note that I was given, at least as far as for how the one team worked, or just from the, the scouting uh, the scouting director that I worked out under from my, the internship and the experience I had with the football team. They kind of had a, a rule of giving out a couple of different, as far as injury grades, being able to give those to a player, having kind of a color code as far as being able to assess that risk as far as for what was going to be the risk of further injury, what was going to be the risk for the player. And one of the notes that they gave that was, hey, like, you're going to say we're going to draft a player who's not even able to participate in the combat in our pro day. They were like, he's going to be practically off our board for the most part because they need to have that ability to stay durable. And if you're having to kind of, you know, prepare for a job interview, some guy gives a call. It's like, Hey, sorry, I've got a flat tire. I'm not able to make it for that one with a job interview for that one. Um, guess I'll have to pass through that one or can you reschedule versus, you know, taking the extra effort to get a taxi work and get there, even if you're a little bit late. So that was kind of the, the comp that I was given was, watch out if you're having to kind of draft those guys who are injured and can't participate because sometimes it can just set up future issues and problems. A good example of that obviously would probably be um, John Ross gets hurt at the comp by running the 40, even though he ran a 4-2-2, like tied the fastest all time. He's never really been, you know, that type of impact player they've been able to see on the Bengals. They took, spent a top 10 pick on him. So that's kind of the concern. I think I'm kind of leaning toward the fact of the fact that if Hollywood, I think for me, I would not take sim, I would not take Simmons. I think at 33, because you're essentially saying, "Hey, we're going to try to take a long-term approach to a defensive tackle." He probably wouldn't be playing in football at all this year. But I think that there's enough players and enough of that cost that you would have as far as needing to get guys in now. I wouldn't be able to worry as much about that as far as the defensive line. Uh, it might be really fun to say, "Oh, hey, in two years, look what you'll have," but between the ACL and being able to have all of the other areas, I would probably pass at least in him. So I probably would avoid taking him at 33, even though it can be exciting yep. to think about as far as like, Oh, look it's at this. Sad he's not an option right. anymore. Cause I think he was a serious option, right? It was a serious option to go in the top 10. That's why when you're talking yeah, about like, that talent level, and that's what some people even argued with Kimdichi. I think that's the biggest thing as far as when you start getting some of those issues and injuries, it's like it's a talent. So I, I would lean toward the fact of, I think you want to get a guy who at 33 is a difference maker because you're in a really, really important year for developing your quarterback and the rest of your team. I wouldn't be a guy who would take a 
flyer for a guy for a year later or try to pour into that now with hollywood brown it's a little different because he's supposed to be ready for training camp so maybe that's something where you can find out and see a bit more of the medicals he's not a guy who completely needs speed to win as far as for where his strengths are but that is probably his biggest defining trait when you look at a deshaun jackson or tyree kill is that speed is kind of that's that's where he wins he's able to do well with his routes that's going to be a little bit tougher i think i would lean more toward the fact of that there's a lot of wide receivers in this draft he's a guy you're not going to be able to see if he's going to run or be in that top area it would be really interesting to see how the scouts and where you'll have him graded so i do think he'll be there at 33 he's not going to be able to participate other guys will be able to pass him up or perhaps some teams will just really you know <laughs> decide to be a bit high on him with that so that's one thing i'll be looking at the other thing i'll be also really curious about overall at least for what i'll be watching is like you said but not just this tight end group and the the wide receivers as far as with the speed i'll be really curious to figure out if the cardinals are going to be taking a another position as far as with not just with linebacker with the offensive line but is it going to be anything else that they're going to look at as far as for a skill position player whether it's a tight end is there going to be another running back it, we're going to find out and learn a lot from i think with the cardinals in their mid to late run picks this year because we learned a lot from bruce arians his approach was he took a guy like a stefan taylor and Landry ellington in his first year showing he loved being able to find speed he loved being able to find guys who could you know catch the ball out of the backfield essentially be able to have a three down roll and he loved guys who did pass protection and can play special teams we learned a lot about the guys that he drafted in his first year we saw i think ryan swope as well as far as trying to find a tough guy who unfortunately was not able to play football due to the concussion issues that were lasting but we got to learn a lot in that first year about the type of approach that we got to see Bruce Arians. So that's what I'm most curious is going to be looking at. Who are some of the guys who kind of fit a certain profile? Do we start to see, oh, hey, look, Cliff drafted a guy who was a 6'2", 200-pound guy in the fifth round. Is that going to be kind of the profile that you're looking for of a 6'2 guy who runs a 4'4", or are you going to be seeing these smaller, shorter guys? I think it's going to be really interesting to watch and kind of get a good template of getting to know the rookies for this year because we're not going to start seeing those, you know, small school John Browns or J.J. Nelsons. We might not even see those guys at all with Cliff anymore because it's going to be a new type of approach yeah arians definitely had his type right he his yep. quarterbacks had to be big with with big arms his his running backs had to have you know pass catching ability i think he was one of the trendsetters in that regard his receivers had to be able to run what sub yep. four four outside of larry larry was kind of grandfathered in uh, and his yeah, tight end, he moved into tight, he moved into tight end yeah. possession receiver, just like he did with, he made him his Heinz Ward and it essentially extended Larry's career. And so yeah, he, he owes Bruce a big Oh you know. yeah. He's, he's going to end up finishing. He's coming back for another season. He'll end up probably finishing number two, obviously, at least in a lot of categories, passing up some guys he probably wouldn't have passed up. You might be talking about him as a Calvin Johnson or a Andre Johnson at some areas. And that'll be interesting to see. Cause that's where, for me with the Cardinals, they've got the slot guys. They've got kind of maybe a, a Y receiver with Christian Kirk. They need to kind of get the that X receiver, that guy who can get off press coverage, be able to get open, do one-on-one. We can talk about some of those guys as we preview the wide receivers after the combine coming up. Um, John, let's let's talk a little bit, at least as far as with the – we've talked free agency, we've talked the combine. Let's go and take a look at least with the mock drafts for that one. We kind of went, I think, each of us separately previewed, like, where we're at before the combine. We hit. don't know our, each other's picks, by the way. We, yeah, we, we don't. Do this, not is, know this, this is a surprise that we're going to have for each of us. We may end up having with identical mock drafts. It's not planned if we did, for the most part at least. And I did end up working to be able to make sure that this was going to be a bit different from some of the other stuff I've been looking at with the past. And we know that people love looking at the possibilities of mock drafts. So – 
let's go over and assume the Cardinals, no tradebacks this scenario. Let's go ahead and just go through. We'll be looking at with the first four rounds of the, of the NFL draft. John, we'll, we'll start with you and then I'll go to me and we'll kind of swap it back and forth at least with some of our picks and why starting with kind of the first and hopefully the most obvious one here. Yeah. I just to, to uh, preface it, this, um, I did this on FanSpeak. It's great to do this on FanSpeak mm-hmm. this year because you have the first pick in every round. It's just a great feeling to have. Um, and to be able to look at that list of players that's, you know, hundreds deep and you get the first pick, it's 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 surreal, honestly, until you do it on FanSpeak. And I took Nick Bosa, no-brainer. Uh, I think he is the quintessential blue-chip player in this draft. If they have Bosa and Quinn and Williams – uh, graded the same. I don't think they do, but if they do, you always take the edge player in, instead of the interior defensive lineman. That's just history shows that the last interior defensive lineman that was picked first overall, I think, was in the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have argued for Indominus Sue uh, over Sam Bradford, but again, Nick Bosa to me, he's been preparing for this. He's got a brother in the NFL. I believe his dad played in the NFL. He knows what what this entails. He knows the expectations. And I think he knows that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to criticize him regardless until he proves it. He's been pretty outspoken. He's an outspoken guy on Twitter. And uh, he sat out majority of his his past season to get ready for this day. So if he can come in and put up double-digit sacks um, every year, I, I think we'll be in good shape. Uh, I, I don't see another pick, really, that makes a ton of sense for the Cardinals, uh, assuming Bosa checks all the boxes at the Combine, like we talked about. You know, Aces' interview has a good rapport with, with Kime and Kingsbury and Michael Bidwell, which I think he will. Uh, he's been coached on this. Don't get, don't get this wrong. He's been coached on this for the better part of six to eight months. He's been yeah. preparing for this. This is, this is you know, his, the most important job interview of his life. Uh, and I think he's going to ace it. And he was my first overall pick, and I didn't hesitate. Yeah, uh, Bosa, uh, that's what my pick was. I shouldn't have to explain with a lot of that's gone into, at least for that. There, I know some people have questions and some doubts, especially since I do think that he is, in some cases, at least people looking at whether it's statistically injuries or other stuff, an outlier. Uh, I, that's one of the things I've been working on is kind of breaking into some of that. But, yeah, right, I'll, I'll just say Bosa, enough enough said. If, you know, we're having to kind of defend some of that pick, then you probably haven't been listening as much to the podcast. For the second pick that I had, I'll just go and swap it here. There's a couple of guys who were there, at least for the, on the board with Jeffrey Simmons was there, Draymond Jones, a guy, a defensive tackle I really like a lot as far as out of Ohio State. Um, he would be a guy if you wanted to really beef up the trenches with the one, two on the defensive side would be great. But the guy I went with was Yadni Kajuste. Uh, he is a really athletic left tackle prospect out of West Virginia. He was a dominant guy starting from a young age where he was basically a redshirt freshman, won the left tackle job, and he's a former basketball player. You're talking about a guy who's like 321, 6'5", played for four years, has a lot of reps with that one, and is very athletic. He needs a little bit of refinement in some areas as far as being able to have, you know, the, you know, a little bit of the handworks, maybe some of the questions some people have had was he's a big man with a lot of balance. Um, but we are also going to be talking about how if he's uh, the biggest trait that stands out to me when I've watched him is his footwork is so solid that you don't have to really reinvent the wheel. So if you're looking for a guy, as far as you can say, okay, let's picture a DJ Humphreys, what he is when he's on the field and healthy, but you're looking at a guy who's got a bit more athletic upside for the most part. And a guy who's going to be steady and stay on the field repeatedly. That's going to be, I think what you're getting at least with, with Kajuste. And I'm really thinking that it's, you know, he's a powerful guy. He's really mobile. You'll be able to get him out on that 
one, and he's got really, really long arms for that one. And the athleticism, I think that for me, that would be kind of a no-brainer pick as far as if he slips to day two, you're going to be able to get a guy who you can probably plug in at left tackle if you want on day one. He'll be able to stick it out there. Um, I That would be kind of my current pick that I would have right now. A lot of good wide receivers were in this area. I figure that I would rather take the tackle prospect, especially if I can get that guy into my building, at least for Josh Rosen right away. Uh, John, what are you looking at as far as with pick 33? No, oh, man, this is really anticlimactic because I had Yandy Kajust as well. If you can That's believe great. it, we did not set this up. Uh, and That's I read hilarious. online, the only hesitation I have, he pronounces his last name Kajust, I guess. Kajust, so interesting. Kajust. On draftcountdown.com, it says Kajust. And my only fear would be if he does not do well, we could call him Kabust. And that <laughs> oh, would no. Him, which uh, would, like Twitter would eat that live. So he needs to play well. I echo everything you said, Blake. I, I saw him there, and I thought, West Virginia, air raid offense, what does that sound like? That sounds like Cliff Kingsbury. Um, you know, according to BigBlueView.com, 6'5", 315, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. multiple-year starter, consistent, um, generally plays with a, a wide base, good mobility on, on when he pulls. He's got great hand usage. Um, everything you mentioned, that's too funny. Same exact player, first two rounds. Uh, Nikhil Harry went right after to the Indianapolis Colts. Kelvin Harmon, who's another uh, quality wide receiver in this class, went to the Oakland Raiders. I don't know if that's a little bit of foreshadowing. We could see a run on receivers in the 20s and 30s. Oh, yeah. Um, and then another player I really liked and almost took was Dexter Lawrence, defensive mm. lineman out of Clemson. I think he'd be somebody to, to ponder over as well. But Yanni there just made too much sense. And then you, the more you read about him, the more you like. I do end up thinking he – sneaks his way into the first round should he um, perform well at the combine. But that's that's what I'm saying. Like when we've talked about it, like one of these quality offensive linemen is going to fall. And the Cardinals, I think last year, like Will Hernandez, who everybody thought was going to be a top 20 pick, fell and the Giants ended up getting him. He's a Scooped good player. He opened up yeah. gaping lane for and Saquon Barkley. Yeah, so there's going to be somebody like this. Uh, that's just too funny that, that we had the same players. So I will take – pick uh 65 now and it's great because you look at okay Bose is an outlier he's the first overall pick but like pick 33 feels like a first rounder pick 65 feels like a second rounder right you should get second round value I went with Michael Jordan guard Ohio State I went back to back offensive line I don't think there's anything wrong with that Six seven three twelve, multiple three-year starter at Ohio State first team all-american this year Mr. Consistency at the University of Ohio State. I'm taking uh, two Ohio State players in the first three rounds. And like I mentioned earlier, I want guys from big national programs who played in big games. He's played every game between 2016 and 2018, 41 in all, and started in every one of them but one game. Um, And he's the first uh, player for Ohio State to do that since Orlando Pace in 1994. Wow. That, uh, he's going to come in and be a 10-year starter for somebody in the NFL from Kent, Michigan, blue-collar kid, a monster. I think he's played both center and guard. So yep. It doesn't work out, Mason um, Cole. You could kick him inside. But, man, I just envision him on the on the right or left side of the offensive line with Yandy. I, I think that that is a home run, back-to-back, you know, day two picks. I'd be – I'm sure Josh Rose would be doing cart, cartwheels in his living room. But well, I, I hope I, he doesn't. I, just keep that knee – keep those knees yeah. away, Josh, you know. Patrick Holmes can't play basketball anymore. No cartwheels there. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, I, I 
I love the idea of going three straight picks on the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. All three are going to be starters day one, you would think, and, and all three play up front and would help the Cardinals immensely this year. Yeah, I, I, I love Jordan at least. I think that, you know, I think the joke that I think has been floating around is he's the best guard to ever be named Michael Jordan in the sports world. It's kind of the joke. You're like, wait a minute. That's like, great. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that you, you could argue at least that there could be, you know, it could be a four on mock draft of just Ohio State players because they've been, you know, consistent. It's been a very deep draft for them you know especially um the guy that i went with was a little bit different there was some quality guards that were there jordan went in the second round in the simulation i went through i do think that might be where he ends up going at least in the draft because as you say he's consistent and athletic that's where if he's there on day three then you're going to probably have a haul that's there the guy i went with is a guy who's been kind of rising up a lot of draft boards and a lot of people have been really connecting him to cliff kingsbury uh as far as with how he's used tight ends in the past how he'd use tight ends in the passing game the fact that the cardinals right now they're kind of relying on an under drafted free agent pick and they're relying on um you know uh, a a a 30-year-old Charles Clay, essentially, as kind of the position. It's going to be hard to to find it for that one. We expect Jermaine Gresham to be cut for that one. So I went with Jay Sternberger, the tight end. Um, He's out of Texas. He was just a phenomenally athletic tight end who's big enough, who's able to chip and block. If you watch the way that he was used and you look back into how Cliff Kingsbury used, uh, I believe it was the Jason Morrow in the years past. It's interesting if they have, you know, kind of the same name, at least for those ones. It'd be very similar, but picture a guy who's a better athlete and a bigger weapon as far as a mismatch in the receiving game he's probably one of the more smooth and fluid athletes that you've seen when you're talking about being able to kind of bring in hey if you're going to try to build a team around you know these core players the kind of easiest comparison you can kind of make to him overall that I at least see is probably a guy like a Travis Kelsey a, a, a if you can talk about a guy who's that's a nice comp <laughs> it's, not, it's not just the speed that you're talking about being able to hands the consistent a guy you can say hey this is going to be like a potential you know number one type of receiving threat you can build around and he's a guy who as far as with the whether it's the one-year production he doesn't quite fit into kind of the complete mold of the top guys like the Hawkinson or the founder maybe even an Irv Smith out of Alabama but a, a guy who I think will still be kind of maybe hanging around there at the start of round three um, you just watch him you're just like looking at how he plays for that he just dragged defenders all over the place this year he's the kind of guy who a lot of people just saying hey look I like to see this guy. All I see in this guy when I'm looking at all these like, draft experts are saying, yeah, give this guy to Cliff. Look what he would do with him in his system of just being able to have the exact thing we've been talking about, John, of these intermediate passing game of Rosen on these RPOs, pulling it back, hitting a tight end over the seam, tight end who can outrun whoever's going to be there from a linebacker or a safety, and being able to go in ahead and be able to block if you need to in a power run scheme as far as being able to be nasty. He's, a, I believe it's, a, I believe he's a Texas kid. I'll have to take a look, but he's going to be that same type of, you know, being able to kind of put it together the work ethic that's there. He had a huge impact on all the games that he played in this year, at least for that. I think it was five catches of 75 yards and two touchdowns against uh, Louisiana State, and we all know they are probably like one of the number one, if not the top, like pass defending, you know, guys in there. And he was just a beast in the red zone throughout that game. He's the guy who I picked in the third round for my simulation. Uh, let's move on at least kind of the final round that's there. Well, it'll be interesting to see if uh, we end up getting a lineup for we get three out of four that are the same. Uh, I looked at the Cardinals and felt that they still needed help on the offensive side. It was hard for me to be able to look at an offensive lineman to find value here for that one. Uh, yeah. I went with a guy that was very similar and familiar to Cliff Kingsbury and his system. Uh, 6'5", 200-pound Antoine Wesley, a tremendous 
uh, he had one year of production is kind of the question, but a couple of NFL guys who went ahead of him, but he's probably the smoothest six, five athlete that you'll see. He's not going to run a four, uh, four threes, maybe not even going to run a four, four or four, five. Some of questioned at least as far as his 40 time, you're talking about a guy who is able to high point and snatch the ball, who can get off of the press and be able to separate and is able to have a very nuanced route game. Like you're, when you're talking about these big, tall receivers who, you know, you can't match up these five, 10 corners on them. He's one of those guys who I think is going to be able to come in and contribute right away at the NFL level as a rookie at the X position. And he's also a guy who's going to be able to contribute quickly because, hey, uh, this scheme that you ran in college, he'll guess what? Here's the same terminology to Mears. He's going to know exactly what he's going to do. That's the guy I think that if the Cardinals, I don't know if he's going to be around there in round four. I think he's going to get propped up as the interviews and more of the film gets around to him. Um, but I do think that if he is there at the top of day four, he would be the number one guy that I would target for the Cardinals, kind of flesh out that offensive side for them by giving Josh Rosen, uh, not just uh, after the, you take Nick Bosa, get him a, a tackle to protect him on his blind side and two pass catchers to help rebuild that room. John, who do you give for the pick, uh, pick number four? I went BPA um, at positions of need outside of quarterback and running mm-hmm. back. Um, and I did not go offensive line again. Well, I kind of did. Yeah. I went tight end, um, which kind of counts. Uh, I went Josh Oliver, tight end San Jose State was available, uh, much to my surprise, uh, 709 yards as a senior, uh, two-year starter at a, at a bad program, but is a ascending player by all accounts, got the senior bowl invite this past year. Uh, is a elite ball tracker, but has some issues running routes and is never going to be a dominant run blocker, but he's 6'5", 253. He is the modern NFL tight end. I think yeah. if he can become a competent blocker and continues to ascend as a pass catcher, which I think is his best, his body control is impressive. Tracking of the football is to be outstanding. I think he's somebody that at the very worst can become a very nice starter in the NFL. I think he could consistently average four or 500 yards a season. And if he and Rosen click Rosen loves the tight end and utilized it consistently, consistently UCLA wanted to last year, but how many drops did we have combined between Ricky Seals Jones and Jermaine Gresham? They need somebody who has more reliable hands. We didn't even get a lot of targets. That's right. That was part of the offensive scheme. I think this guy could come step in right in, probably be your number two tight end in 2019, along with like a Charles clay and definitely be one of your best options in the red zone. He's got the size at 6'5". And again, he's somebody you're going to be able to look to as a guy who continues to put on maybe some muscle mass in the NFL, was not a part of a program that probably had a, had a, had a great conditioning program, had a great weight program. And so get him into the Cardinals you know, food plan, and he's able to add maybe 15 pounds after this first season. He can become a consistent starter, and that's what you're looking for. Uh, again, pass protection is – fine is run blocking it's not his strength to just split yeah. him out wide opposite Larry Fitzgerald in the slot and let him go and get those tough seven eight yards <clears throat> to to move those chains so that is who I wrapped up with I thought about going receiver I didn't love the options in the fourth round mm-hmm. I liked my favorite picks in this draft for me Blake were the two on day two because those are plug and play starters obviously right. I love Nick Bosa Oliver to me could put potentially be a contributor, but this was the first time that I had done a fan speak mock this year. <clears throat> I'd been holding off until we had one ready to go live on air. And so uh, I was very, very happy. I, I just want to share a little bit about how the top 10 went about, because I, I do think that's an interesting dynamic, even though I don't expect the Cardinals to play a big part in how the top 10 unfolds outside of Bosa. 
The Niners ended up going with Quinn and Williams, which I think is a little bit unrealistic, but who knows? They could admit they, they that. need to move on from Armstead, and maybe he's the second best. I think they trade that pick or go Josh Allen is what I think. Yeah. At least for most part. But I, if they think, hey, Quinn is the second best defensive talent that's there and they got to build the defense, that maybe is a possibility if he does separate himself some. But, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Yep. Yeah, I, the Jets went Josh Allen. That makes too much sense. They, need, they have a needed edge rusher. Kyler Murray goes to the Oakland Raiders, so that's starting to build momentum. Montez Sweat, Tampa Bay Buccaneers for that Todd Bowles 3-4 outside linebacker position. Noah Spence not getting it done there. And then you saw Drew Locke go to the New York Giants at pick six. Uh, I thought this was interesting with the quarterbacks potentially off the board. Now, uh, Dwayne Haskins did not go in the top ten, was not the pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. They instead went with wide receiver D.K. Metcalf, uh, which which is an interesting selection uh, by the computer. And then this would really upset, I'm sure, a lot of Detroit Lions fans. The Lions went Noah Fant at pick eight. Uh, after getting spurned by tight ends year after year and seemingly giving up on a potential stud uh, a couple, or excuse me, a year ago, and he ended up in Indianapolis. Uh, Greedy Williams went to the Denver Broncos. Oh, and I skipped the Buffalo Bills, who took uh, Ed Oliver. So that is how the first 10 picks went about. Yeah, for sure. That That's interesting, at least as far as those. I think that that's interesting because Metcalf is a guy who obviously could probably rise into the top 10, even with the lack of production, just because he's a, a physical freak. The one thing I think I find most interesting is with the how the quarterbacks will shake out will be fascinating again with being able to have um, Haskins versus uh, the Jaguar with the Giants, Jaguars, skins to figure out, especially with once these free agents, we already figured out at least that the Broncos, they could potentially still take a quarterback at least if they have one that they like on the board. Joe Flacco is essentially on a one-year deal, but that'll be something to kind of shake out. That'll be fascinating to see. My biggest hope, obviously, as you know, and John, we talked about this was if you get one of those top three quarterback prospects, whether it's Locke, uh, Murray or Haskins, if one of those three can kind of be hanging around there at 32 Let's say the Patriots don't trade back. I think that they will. But let's say that one of them just happens to fall to 33. Then the Cardinals potentially are able to kind of get a, a day three, a day two, maybe even day three Kings ransom for that pick. That would be kind of the, the dream we would want to have because those picks are going to be much less likely to be able to, you know, have a true hit on his Bosa. Don't think that will be the case, but that is something to be able to kind of watch as see how these drafts will change over time. That'll about wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, thank you all again for joining us so much. Um, we are available, at least if you need to download us on any other platforms outside of uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're available all over the place. And the, uh, make sure you're following the at ROTB pod Twitter account, uh, and as well as our at Revenge of the Birds Twitter account. All the podcasts are available there. And we do follow, at least if I make it an effort to go in every day. If you will do follow our ROTB pod account, I will make sure to do a follow back. Still waiting, obviously, for the follows from some private accounts who followed us. That I can't control those, but we will obviously follow back you if you do give us a follow there. Follow us. Get it for that one. Uh, well, the kind of the best hits, the biggest hits, at least of me and Johnny as well. If you're not already following us down or trying to remember one of the bigger tweets we had throughout this week versus searching, go ahead and follow that account. We kind of make sure with some of those big takes that we have, are always showing up on there too. As we wrap it up for tonight, John, um, can you let the followers know where they can find you at least on Twitter? Please come and follow me at Johnny's football, J O H N N Y S football and yell at me for my, 
for my hot takes and my <laughs> and my sources uh, and get angry online because it's not supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be angry. Uh, Blake, where can they find you? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm the one who oddly enough ends up getting the angry people for the most part. So really? You get the angry people? Okay. I get some, I get some who are there. Most of the time, it's usually pretty cordial because that's how it's been. But I have sometimes people just be like, no, that's totally wrong. And there's discussions that are there. A lot of times, it'll end up turning more into, you know, kind of some of the takes. The biggest one I've noticed at least seems to be quarterback takes, obviously. But uh, yeah, go ahead and feel free to yell at me as well at Blake Murphy 7 Again, I'm working on that BOSA article. The biggest thing I know as far as with the unpopularity of it is because in some cases he is an outlier. I think that is going to become a little bit much more common given the NFL CBA as we see that moving forward to see these type of guys go forward. Uh, in the NFL as we kind of work our way toward the upcoming 2019 season. We've got our combine at least coming up. We're probably going to not have a show up until the combine unless there is some big news that breaks. We'll be able to kind of look at that afterwards and then kind of hit the beginning of our free agency preview. Hit a couple things tonight when we get a little bit more news and start seeing what shakes out. We'll have more for you then. In the meantime, uh, take care everyone and go Cards.